God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Let's bow our heads once again, saints. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, I trust, to be here together this morning, grateful that we can have this time of fellowship. Father, grateful that we can center our minds, even for this moment, Lord, we can center our minds on the Lord Jesus himself. We've considered him this morning already, and Father, it has not been time wasted. It never is time wasted, Lord, when we can learn more, hear more, consider more, and be more grateful for the Son of God. I pray, Lord, that as we continue this morning, that you would help us, Father, to keep our minds stayed upon him and to do so when we leave this place, Lord, because he is worthy. Open our hearts to see more and more of who he is, the character of your son and you in him. We praise you, we thank you this morning and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my Bible, it's page 910, I believe. I've been on it a number of times. I have this list in my Bible. Uh, this list here is a list. It's, it's got a header that says the names, titles, and offices of Christ. Now, I've heard just myself and even given some myself lessons that are based on the names, titles, and offices of Christ. Now, these are small enough that I would... Celebrate your eyes if you could read them. <laughs> I really would. Uh, I'm not going to read all of them to you. Uh, you can probably see some from, from where you are, but it's an extensive list. It's an extensive list, as you can see, if not exhaustive. I believe that you could even pull more out of Scripture, as I have, as I've considered this. Don't worry about that warning there. That's not a name or title of Christ. It will be gone here in just a second. But if you look at the, that list, it's... Well over 100. I think it's 122. Uh, I don't remember. I didn't count them uh, again. But all of the names that you probably expect are there. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, those things. Emmanuel is listed there. Uh, Bread of Life, Lion of Judah, and the like are there. Some of the ones that perhaps you might not think. I I was pleased when I looked through that because I'm like, you know what, not... Not only do I know these ones, but I know where these are, where they're at in Scripture. You know, over the time you pick things up. But there are other ones that are a little bit more obscure, perhaps. Blessed and only potentate, if you're not familiar with that one, or if you don't use that. We don't say that one very often, do we? We praise you, O blessed and only potentate. We don't use that word, but it's in there. It's in there. Shiloh, he's called. There's some other ones that perhaps are, aren't quite as considered as often. Now, Jesus, obviously, as you look at these names, each one of these names are qualified, well, by a certain number of duties and responsibilities and appointed works that take place as a result of these things. Uh, These were all appointed by the Father to the Lord Jesus. These were all created between the entire Godhead before mankind was even thought, well, not thought of because he was already thought of, but... We kind of use some statements, you know, some figures of speech from our own mind and not the Lord's mind. 
Before we even thought of mankind, before mankind was even in existence, these things were already prepared and already thought out and already agreed to by the Lord Jesus to take these things, to take these duties for himself, these titles for himself. And so in that respect, in that respect, each one of these has, if you want to put it into our own terminology these days, each one of these has a specific job description, right? Each one of these ones. If you're going to be a deliverer, specifically the deliverer, you're going to have a job description that's listed for that. What does it take? What are the responsibilities? What can you expect to be doing? Some of you all are in the job market. Some of you guys have been recently. Some of you haven't been in the job market for some time, and good for, good for you. Uh, some of you have yet to approach the job market, but if you haven't, well, if you're not familiar with the job description, I would be surprised, because most of us have. Looked and seen. It used to be in the newspaper, perhaps. Uh, you'd look and you'd see the want ads or, or, or those sorts of things. Now you get on any of these websites and stuff, and you look and you say, okay, I want to be a plumber. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be whatever the, whatever the situation might be. And so you go looking and you see, okay, here's an opening that's here. And what are the duties that are expected of me? And you look before you're appointed, before you even apply to that job. Perhaps you don't even know what you want to do. So you look at a whole list of job descriptions. And you say, this is what's open. What am I going to expect to be doing? What am I going to need to prepare myself for? What am I going to, well, what is going to disqualify me from this job? How about that? What is going to, as I look at this job, am I going to disqualify it from my consideration? Because I don't want to have that job. Whatever the situation might be. Uh, I... I well, Lorraine told me the other day about uh, a diving job, <laughs> a diving job at the zoo and the aquarium right now. She said, are you an open water diver? Because they, they're hiring divers at the aquarium. And I would not go dive at the zoo, but it still piqued my interest, so I looked into it regardless. Yeah, it was fantastic. They said, yeah, open water diver, come on, come on out here and dive into our aquarium and clean all the machines clean all the surfaces of the exhibits, uh, including the penguin exhibit. Penguins are dirty, nasty creatures. And if you know what cleaning is inside of a, an aquarium, it's all the waste that comes out of these creatures. As pretty as they are, they still make unpretty things. And so you have to clean all of that. And you get in there and you do it for no pay. And the penguins are uh, 45 degree water. So <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever dove in any kind of water... Uh, you understand 75 is, is just about right. 45 is freezing. On a volunteer basis to boot. No pay. Yeah, I'm out on that. I disqualify that job. No matter what my qualifications are, that job is not one that I find quality and qualifying for me. So, all of that being said, as we look here in Hebrews chapter 1, you recognize from verses 1 through 4, there's a measure of job description that's presented here. Certainly in past tense, present tense, different kind of tenses. But as you break it down, you can see that in part, just a small segment, just a small little piece of the very large job description that Jesus held as our deliverer, as our redeemer, as the blessed and only potentate, as all of the things that he, all the titles that he held, just a small piece of that job description is presented here. And that's why I titled this lesson the way that I did. Jesus' job description, and I could just say a, a minuscule piece 
of his job description. That's what we're considering this morning. Not a very in-depth lesson, I wouldn't say, at least not by way of theme. Anytime you consider the Son of God, it is something deep and it's something eternal. But the theme is simple. It's Jesus' job description as is presented in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. I enjoy the opportunity to brag on Jesus, and I'm going to do that this morning, because he's certainly boastworthy. So let's break down this four-verse passage here, and just look at a couple of the different things, the requirements that are presented in this job description that Jesus took on for himself. In Hebrews chapter 1, and verses 1 and 2, the first part of verse 2, gives us our first consideration. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. So the first requirement, the first piece of that job description is to serve as the mouthpiece of God. Jesus was called to serve as the mouthpiece of God. And if you want to put it into um, in the kind of a framework that we'd be familiar with, Jesus was called to be an ambassador of sorts. An ambassador of the Father. What does an ambassador do? Uh, an ambassador represents the throne or the government or the authority that he is sent by. Here is someone or some government in charge overall, and they take this person who's qualified in diplomacy, and qualified in tact, and qualified in the... Uh, you might say the culture and the society and the goings-on of the country or nation or, or people that they're sent to so that they might represent this authority to that people. They want to maintain relations, so to speak. Establish relations and then keep them going in a peaceful kind of way. Or at least, even if there's not peace involved, to have a, a go-between so that this person or the authority's ideals, personality... Um, desires, intentions, who they are can be reflected entirely and completely and accurately to the people that the ambassador are going to. And vice versa, they can speak back, you might say. Uh, They express the position held by the authority, not just their own. Again, there's a diplomacy that's involved there. There's a measure of immersion of that ambassador into the goings-on and into the society of of that people that they go to. And so... Jesus meets this description, doesn't he? Of course he does. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse 38 gives us an idea of that. where We understand he was made flesh and he dwelt among us. It doesn't get much more immersive than that. God becoming man so that he might dwell among man. We get this. He is Emmanuel. God with us. We understand. This passage in Mark is from Friday. We considered this uh, in our brief Lesson on Friday night. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Because for this purpose I came forth, so that I can speak of myself. You know, of the provision that I am as the Son of God. Of the, of the Deliverer that I am. But as it is in the plan and process of my Father, as it was in His will, as He has appointed me. And He was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. We understand He preached all over the place there in Galilee and Judea and Samaria and and those places. Uh, He brought the word to sinners, disciples, rejecters, agreeers, 
He sat down with sinners. He went into homes. He spoke to multitudes. He spoke to individuals, found individuals by themselves. (laughs) Praise the Lord, he's so good. Spoke to great masses and shared the word uh, far and wide. And then he found those individual specific needs and met those ones as well. Um, And what he did in this whole time that he was an ambassador and immersed himself into humanity was he remained loyal to the one who sent him. He remained loyal, as good ambassadors do. He remained loyal to the authority who sent him in John chapter 12. And verse 49, he made plain, even though he was the Son of God, the Christ, Messiah, all of those things with the authority of God. He said, for I have not spoken on my own authority. I am but an ambassador, he says. But the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, understand just as the Father told me, though I am in 100% agreement, though I was with him before you all were ever even created, though it is entirely, I am of him, with him. I thought it not robbery or something to be grasped at to be equal with him. He never lays that out. He always points, always defers to his Father. Therefore, whatever I speak, Just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Saints, that's the definition of an ambassador. That's absolutely, absolutely what the perfect ambassador does. Even in the face of resistance, even in the face of rejection, even in the face of pushback, even in the face of mockery, even in the face of whatever the case might be, the ambassador presents, this is what my authority says. And I'm just sharing, don't kill the messenger. Although that's a little bit ironic, isn't it? Because they did kill the messenger, we understand. (laughs) This is what he has. This is what he wants. This is what his place is. Even in the face of all of that, Jesus presented the message and he held fast that position. He still does so. Even in the face of rejection and rebellion, even in the face of all kinds of pushback, he still presented in the word. He, he, well, our sister just prayed a moment ago, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always with us wherever we go. He is present even when he is not received, even if he is not accepted. Jesus is indeed still the mouthpiece of God. He took on that job for himself, recognized the job description and said, I'll do it. I'll do that. And he performed it quite exceptionally and still does today. For time's sake, I'm going to move forward. I'm even going to couple together a couple of these other things that are presented in Hebrews chapter 1. So understanding that the Lord is the mouthpiece of God, the ambassador for God, that was part of the description of the job he was to take as being our all of those things we saw on, those, on that list. Uh, what was next? We'll combine a couple of them, as I said, back in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1 whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So, just kind of parsing this together, and again putting it all together, part of the description is to stand as the heir and creator of all things. Well, you know what, now that I think about this, being an ambassador, well, it's a white-collar job. And an heir and a creator, with creation comes kind of an authority, doesn't it? There's a white collar there's a white collar position to that there's a superior position to that. Um, this sounds kind of nice. 
to be the heir, to be the one who inherits. We spoke recently of what it means to be an heir. One who's legally entitled to receive property or title or, or stuff or money or finances or authority or whatever the case might be simply by virtue of their birth. I didn't have to do anything for this. I didn't have to work for this. This is part of the job description. Sign me up. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be the heir. I will inherit whatever you're willing to give me that is of value. Jesus is the heir of all things. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, it says the Father placed him so. Ephesians 1 verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Above every name that is named, it goes on to say, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. John 13 confirms that all things were given to him when it says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he recognized this. Knowing the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God. Yeah, it sounds white collar, right? That sounds... That sounds like good authority, right? That sounds like a, a pretty nice place to be. God's given all things into my hand. I am above all principality and might and dominion. All of these things. I, I am heir. He recognized it. He knew it. Study for yourself sometime. Get into the Word and, and put together what the Lord might have known and when. It's a, well, it's kind of a, it's a deep study. And it's one that kind of, ends up being rather loose-ended because you can't always know exactly what he knew and when. But you can know some things. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hand. Now, that being said, he was an heir. He was the heir of all things, but that didn't make him some trust fund baby, I can tell you that. He didn't just sit back on his laurels and say, come to my feet, <laughs> you know. Come and, come and bring me, bring me all, all your... Worship, bring me all your finances, bring me all of your respect, bring me all your admiration, all of these things. He doesn't just, still doesn't just sit on his throne looking down, not being involved. He was a worker, Jesus was. And he wasn't just white collar, he was blue collar. Now saints, I will make plain. Man, in your own lives, celebrate if you're a blue collar worker because you're needed. (laughs) You're valuable. I don't look down, I was a blue collar worker for over 20 20 plus years. Uh, It is what it is. I I don't disvalue blue collar work and Jesus didn't either. Jesus didn't come. Those elected disadvantages that he took upon for himself. He made himself entirely blue collar. He was a, even in life, he was a carpenter. Paul, was he white collar? No, Paul made tents. (laughs) He was a tent maker. I think that that probably was, well, not lowbrow, but it certainly was blue collar. He was a laborer. Uh, he was a builder. Jesus sweat for his inheritance. But let me take this a little bit farther. We understand he made the worlds. It said that back there uh, in Hebrews chapter 1. That he made the worlds. That was confirmed in John. In John chapter 1, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. I'm going kind of quickly because I have a lot of scripture here, so I'm sorry if you can't keep up. But in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul reiterates... For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things consist. This is the job description for Jesus. Sign me up if I'm Jesus, right? 
That sounds very disrespectful, and I don't mean it to. I'm not Jesus. But I'm just saying, where's the problem with this? To be the heir of all things. To inherit all this, to have all of this power, to have all of these things. You understand, saints, that what the job description says is to stand as this. You are going to be the heir of all things. You are, you are the creator of all of this. Now you're going to go down there and even though, what did it say earlier? Knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God. You understand that knowing something, knowing who you are when you're in the midst of those who reject who you are. You ever been in that situation? Why are you treating me like this? <laughs> You don't even know who I am. Uh, you ever had someone build that proverbial straw man of you? They, they, they believe they know who you are, or, or it doesn't even matter whether they know you or not. They look at you and they want you to be this. <laughs> look in the news and see if you haven't been described this way. They want you to be this way simply by virtue of, of who or what you are. Jesus came to this world as heir of all things and creator of all things. And he stood there knowing that he was such. Having an understanding that he came from God and was going to God. And yet he submitted himself to those that he created. Get your mind around that. Put your mind around that. He submitted himself and he was to stand there knowing who he was. And allowing those ones who, for all intents and purposes, he created to do with him as they chose. And we understand that they did do that. Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men. This is Isaiah foretelling who the Messiah would be, and he indeed was this. He was despised and rejected by men. His created thing. Those ones that he created himself as the creator over all. A man of sorrows and, to, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. The heir of all things. We did not esteem him the creator of all things. The ambassador's message was soundly rejected, right? And consistently is. All, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all taken our own rejection of him. Took our own measure of time before we accepted and even after we've accepted him. Sometimes the old sheep in us start to go in directions other than the shepherd. The ambassador was not received well. The ambassador who was also the creator and the heir of all things. Well, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, wasn't he, by that created thing in verse 7? And he was afflicted, and he, yet he opened not his mouth. This one who knew who he was, knew his authority, knew his place, and knew his position. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. In this manner he opened not his mouth. Jesus was, well, by him all things were created and he was the heir of all of it. And yet he was called in this job description as he came to this earth to walk this earth to stand as though he was, well, to be treated as though he was not. That's a difficult job. Child of God, that's difficult to stand when you know who you are and you aren't being recognized for it. It's difficult to stand and bear that up. And yet he did quite often. Consider him. I'll just throw this in for free. I felt led this morning to drop it in. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own souls. People don't understand you? Ah, 
It's child's play compared to what Jesus bore up. Keep that in mind. Moving on, back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 and considering this job description. What else did Jesus have to prepare for? And could he expect to be as he came uh, to fulfill all of those titles and duties? I will pair up a couple more here in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. In signing up to be both of these and fulfilling the duties as the brightness as the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person, uh, he took a submissive place further still. How, how is that? Well, the brightness means, brightness of God's glory means the, if you look in the Greek, it means the literal shining off, the radiation of his glory. The, you know, we don't use the word effulgence very often, but there it is. It means the effulgence. It means just, I mean, you know, look at the sconces here on the wall. You see how it's casting that light upon that. It's not just some, you know, overall cast glow, but an actual radiation coming off uh, being displayed there on the wall. Jesus is the effulgence, the off-shining of the Father's heavenly glory. He is, well, he looks like the Father. And we know that he, he well, literally illustrated that on the Mount of Transfiguration when he became white. His clothes were white and he shined as, well, in a brilliant type manner. But you know that it speaks here of radiating the ideals, radiating the purposes, radiating the character, the righteousness, the godliness of his Father. That's what he is. He's the brightness of his glory. Uh, as far as an express image, it's not just an image. Express image is a two-part, two word translation for one for one term that is character in the Greek. And not just, man, he's a character, isn't he? No. It's not just someone playing a role. It is the express character. The very presentation, not just a, here's a photo of somebody, but it is the express. It is complete. It's an entire image of the Lord God, of His Father. Uh, you can use it to make copies. You can take this and actually impress and smash something onto it and leave the impression of that, kind of like a signet ring, you might say. It's a mold. It's a mold that is the facsimile, the complete representation of that one, like a die to form a tool. It's a standard. It's the standard. This is what it looks like. I remember when I was a kid, man, I was a Stallone fan. Oh, my goodness, I loved Rocky. It was, you know, Rocky, Karate Kid, all of those things. You know, I was, I was a child of the 80s. And we went... I don't remember where it was at. Nashville, Memphis, I don't remember. But there used to be a place called Planet Hollywood. Planet Hollywood was kind of like, yeah, kind of like the Hard Rock Cafe of, 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 of movies and stuff. They had, you know, memorabilia and stuff from, from movies and the like. And so there was this impression of oh, Sylvester Stallone's hand. You know, he'd stuck his, his old mitt into that, into that hand. So I was like, all right, man, put my hand right up here on Rockies. Well, my fingers were longer than his. <laughs> And he had little short, little stumpy hands. I mean, his fingers were like this, this wide, but they were this. And I was kind of disappointed because I recognized my hands are bigger, but, you know, longer than this guy. He's got little tiny hands. And then I realized he's just a wee little guy, uh, you know, top to bottom. Anyway, all of that just to say, <laughs> you get a representation and you get to see, hmm, that's what it, it looks like. That's what, that, that's, it, that's a little bit disappointing. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus was the representation of the Lord. And if you look at him, 
If you look at him just for who he was, you know, nothing that we should desire him. Looking at him being less than, less than imposing, perhaps, it doesn't seem that he just drove fear into people with just his personage and his persona. Certainly didn't look like the Messiah that they had, that they had conjured up in their own mind. But saints, if you look at Jesus as the standard that he was, you recognize he was the standard, the brightness of God's glory. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Let me speak for Paul on his part because this is what he's suggesting. Don't imitate me because I'm Paul. If you're going to imitate any part of me, imitate me as I imitate the standard, as I smash myself and impress that standard upon me, or vice versa, impressing myself, smashing myself onto that standard so that I might look and reflect him uh, more fitly, you could say. First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, Peter says this, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, so that you might smash yourself onto that standard, onto that die, onto that character, onto that signet ring, onto that picture uh, that is the express image of his father. Him who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Saints, you ever revile those ones who revile you? Isn't that how it's supposed to be, you know? You slap me, well, slap them back. That stung a little bit more than I intended. You know, that's what, that's what we're called to do in this society, right? You hurt me, I hurt you back. You, you want to talk to me like that? Well, I'll talk louder. You, you think you have a position? Well, let me speak louder, let me speak longer. No, that's, that's not looking like the standard, is it? That's not. Jesus didn't do such things. Turn the other cheek, so on and so forth. All of these things, he committed no sin. No deceit found in his mouth. Did not revile in return when he was reviled. He was the creator and the heir of all things, and he stood there before them in being so. And when they reviled him, when they cast him about, when they treated him as though he was despised, as though he was something of an affliction that they didn't want to get upon themselves, many of them. Uh, Well... He held the standard. We're called to do this. We're called ourselves uh, to impress upon ourselves this express image of God. He is, Jesus was that singular, perfect, express image of God who reflected God's glory. Jesus signed up for that. We fail in that every day. To, well, even to imitate Paul as he imitated imitated Christ. We fail at that. Jesus signed up for it knowing full well who he was and what he was going to get in return. Uh, that's quite a job. Quite an quite a effort on his part. Not to hide his light under the proverbial bushel. He was that light and he always shined it. Never passed up the opportunity to represent his father, always pleasing him and everything he said did. All of those things, despite the constant and ever-present pushback of the sin that surrounded him all the time. Jesus was the brightness of God's glory and he was the express image of God's person. And he took that upon himself gladly, happily, and very successfully, we might say. Uh, back in, chap- in chapter 1 of Hebrews, in verse 3, if we're talking about work, the fundamental job you might consider as far as just doing work, is picking up something heavy and moving it from one place to the other. Uh, the Lord was called 
It says, in upholding all things by the word of his power, Lord Jesus was called as part of his job description to uphold everything. Uphold. That means to bring. It means to carry. Not just to deadlift something. If you know what a deadlift is, deadlift and just hold it there and stand there. That's the basic fundamental strength exercise, I suppose you might say, is just to reach down and pick something up. This is putting the work element into that, continuing the work. It's carrying something. Jesus is a worker. Jesus wasn't just white-collar, you understand. Jesus undertook these blue-collar efforts there. He didn't just create the universe and say, poof, done. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let there be light, so on and so forth. Roll everything out there, speaks out his, his stuff, and then steps back and puts his arms across and says, well, what next? Let's just sit here in our ivory palace and watch everything go. Now, I've said it before, you know, the Lord can put things into motion and set back and let those things carry on in their natural motion. We understand this. Uh, back in the old days, you hear people talk about the founding fathers and their religious beliefs and all of that. Uh, I don't think that it's quite as pristine as someone would suggest that it is. They're founding our Constitution on Jesus' morals and that sort of thing and Jesus' teachings. Jesus oftentimes wasn't even involved in the minds of those ones. They were deists, a number of them. I'm not going to get into all of that, but they believed that God was out there. God set it in motion. And he, Many of them believed He just stepped back and just let things go and left it all up to us. You sat back there as this mighty being, this mighty thing. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was called to uphold everything, carry everything. He's a worker. God is not a franchiser, and Jesus is not a franchiser. He doesn't set up a shop here, step back, and say, carry on and let the, let the proceeds come to me. He's constantly giving back, right? Jesus is constantly feeding and upholding everything. Not asking for rent. Not asking for this or that. Now certainly he, he gives us guidance and he gives us leading and he gives us a measure of rules if you want to call them that. But always, always his rules for us are to our benefit. It's to bless us in things. Not to show that we, that we can follow rules and show discipline, but because discipline is to our benefit. Because godliness is to our benefit. It's because drawing nearer to him is to our eternal benefit at the cost of comfort right now perhaps. It, I'm kind of digressing here. But the fact of the matter is, is that he's always giving. He's the carrier of all things. On a large scale, he carries the universe. Turn to Luke chapter 12. He carries the cosmos. He keeps these things in line. Keeps things according to, well, the limitations that he wants to set on them. But he works on a very, very small scale too, we understand. He carries very small things. Luke 12 and verse 6, Jesus says some of the sweetest and dearest words that I think that, that anyone can say, that we can know for ourselves, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins. They're worthless. They're valueless. And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Saints, the house sparrow population in, New, in not New York, <laughs> in North America... Somewhere around 740 million. 740 million, according to the North American Breeding Bird Survey. 740 million strong house sparrows alone. 
There are a number of other sparrows and there are a number of other birds. There are a number of other things that the Lord is well, carrying, upholding, concerned about. What does it say? Remembering. Not forgotten before God. Average hair follicles in this place. I'll leave all bald jokes out because by goodness I'm balding myself. It is what it is. 100,000 hair follicles average in each one of your heads. You lose average 50 to 100 hairs every single day. Now they, re- they regrow, most of them. Uh, but 100,000 losing 50 to 100 a day. Do the math. One of the engineers. Chop, chop. Uh, I'm disappointed. Uh, <laughs> the very hairs of your head are numbered. Numbered. Because Jesus upholds and carries all things. All things. He understands who you are to the very core. It's part of his job description. His power is such that he can do this. And not only can he, saints, he's willing. And he wants to. He wants to do this. He carries all of it. And he does so because he desired to. Infinitely powerful in Hebrews chapter 13. Infinitely powerful he is. Infinitely aware he is. And infinitely interested he is in each and every one of us. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Don't you be jealous of anybody else. Don't you be jealous of anyone else's position. Don't be envious or covetous of anyone else's position if you are walking in the position that the Lord has you, if you are walking the path that He has, if you are old and breaking down, if you are young and have so long to wait before you can actually be a grown-up and life is awful, if you're somewhere in between not knowing what the the future holds or, or whatever the case might be, if you are where the Lord has for you to be right now, Don't you dare envy someone else. If you're poor, don't you envy someone who has money. If you have all the money in the world, but none of the satisfaction and and all the difficulty that goes with it, don't envy the one who's poor if the Lord has that for you. He is infinitely interested in who you are and doing well for you. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Saints, he's capable of relating to us and communing with every single one as though you were the only one. He's able to commune with you and fellowship with every one of you as though you were the only one and he's willing to. And he does it. He speaks to you. He doesn't turn a deaf ear to you because he's capable. Jesus is the one who upholds and carries and bears all things all at once. He's able to do that work and even better, even, well, even more sweet is that he's willing to. Uh, Be at ease, saints. Don't be discontent. Don't be covetous of something or someone else because where you are right now, you have... (laughs) A one-on-one relationship with the Son of God. Be grateful for it. Um, Be at ease. Speaking of being at ease, let's start closing this down here. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, back in our opening text, there at the end of that third verse. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, one more component, 
of Jesus' job description was to cleanse all sin. To cleanse all sin, he had to look at this and recognize, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm preparing for. This is what I'm going to take. Wait, one more piece. Alone, by the way. That's important. To cleanse all sin by himself. When he had by himself purged our sins. Saints, I'm confident we've all done our share of cleaning. Each one of you understands that. I mentioned the, well, the distaste that I've found in, in even as fun as it might be to swim among the sharks. And uh, that might not be so fun. But swimming among all the pretty fish and stuff at the aquarium and, and so on. Swimming among the penguins. So cute and all of that sort of thing. You understand that it gets real blue collar real quick when you start bringing out a brush or whatever. And you start... And, and cleaning off those things that are in there. They look pristine for a reason. They clean them very well. Also, it's new. So there's just not a whole lot of buildup. Okay? If you've not been to the aquarium, it's new too. So, yeah. Let's see what it looks like in 20 years. That being said, <laughs> that being said I dove Lakewood Lake ah, a number of times in, in my past. But I dove it one time, and I sat there on the bottom of Lakewood Lake, 85 feet down, we were just supposed to sit down. There was a cold water dive, ice dive, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so we sat down there, and we were just getting qualified. So all I had to do was just sit down there. And I think I probably told it before because it was one of the most unpleasant dives I've ever had in my whole life. It was about 45 degrees outside. Sitting down there on the bottom, it was just muck. And as, so- as soon as you go down, everything's dark and all that. But once you settle down on the bottom, because there's a whole flock of geese that live up there on the lake. And like I said... Geese are dirty creatures, and it doesn't matter how pretty they are above the water, what's happening under the water is anything but pretty with geese. And it goes down in the water, and you sit down and you go, (laughs) and the cloud comes up, and you're just surrounded by green. It's just absolutely foul. And it becomes blue green collar very, very soon, very, very quickly. Cleaning is a pain because it's gross. (laughs) It's nasty. It's... It's unpleasant. Uh, I don't talk about it too much, but we had the sewer back up twice down here in this basement. And I backed up with pressure, and it blew all over the wall in the bathrooms downstairs. I got to clean that up. Um, Did the same thing at Abundant Grace. Uh, A number of us helped at Abundant Grace, and we all got nasty and elbows deep into sewage when it backed up. Why am I being so gross? Because to a certain measure... Because it was our mess. It's a labor of love, right? You do what you do because you love people. And it just makes things a bit more tolerable when you're cleaning up the mess. Well, that are people that you love. Some of you are rental property owners. Fortunately, you can have people that you love renting from you. But other times when it's not really your kind of people, they're not anything more than kind of income. Do you like cleaning up their mess? Renters can leave behind quite a mess in picking up other people's garbage. It doesn't feel very good. You guys who work on ambulances and the fire service, you clean up after people. I remember those days. Penguin habitats, you got to clean up after those. Our sin, saints, you understand, past, present, and future. That sin of every person to live on this earth, past, present, and yet to come. The sin that is produced by all of that, that is our mess. Our mess. It wasn't his at all. Now, 
Get the old wobbly out of my voice because it still hits sometimes. It's not his mess. It wasn't his mess, never was his mess. He who was without sin, faced with every temptation, every testing that we are tested by, will be tested by, and yet was without sin. It was our mess, and yet we couldn't clean it up. Still can't. Can't clean it up. Can't do anything for ourselves. We are all like an unclean thing, Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. And all our righteousness, what we might believe to be righteousness in ourselves, like filthy rags. And this is as foul as it gets. It's just, it, it is what it is. We had no righteousness in ourselves. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Romans seven eighteen. I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. I'm getting my King James in there. Nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good? I do not find it. I can't clean up my own mess. I can't do it. Can't pull myself out of the miry clay. Can't climb myself those slick walls that keep on pushing you back further and further and further. Remember the old quicksand and Tarzan? Remember those old stupid Tarzan movies that were on on Sunday afternoons after church? Go to grandma's house and here's Tarzan on there black and white and he'd do his little yodeling. (laughs) And then someone invariably would fall in the quicksand and they'd move and every time they'd move they'd slide further and further down. That's how we are. Tarzan would have to go in there and pull them out. Uh, Tarzan's not around. We can't find ourselves out of there. It's Jesus who comes and rescues us, pulls us up out of that miry clay. We know that we are not capable of doing it for ourselves, never never were capable. Uh, At least if we're being honest, we understand that. It's a job for which we're not qualified, a job for which we are not capable, and a job for which we are not competent. 1 John 1 and verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, but, it goes on in verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Saints, it got really blue-collar at Calvary, didn't it? It got really blue-collar. It got really dirty, got really nasty. When the sin of every person in the world was put upon the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, and He took it to the tomb, Talk about a dirty job. Only Jesus could do it. And Jesus did it. He saw it, read the job description, and he recognized there can only be one sole purger of sin, and I'll do it. When he himself had purged our sin, it said. Saints, I remember job descriptions that I've looked at in the past. There are times when I open them up and I'd be like, man, it's exciting. Maybe I don't have the capability right now maybe i don't have the the understanding but it will come with time i'll have training and i'll have all these things there were times when i looked at those things with excitement there were other times when i looked at them with real trepidation thinking i can never do this i don't have the qualifications now and i don't have the capability for i don't see how i could ever learn this You'd be dubious when you look at some of those things at times. I don't even have the interest in doing that. And by, by, you know what? Now that I look at it, I'm glad someone is willing to do this job. (laughs) Because I can't do this. It would wreck me to do this. Can't do it. Uh, I'd look at those job descriptions and i think how involved they were sometimes. I'd look and see what the responsibilities were. 
what, what more responsibility might come as you move forward and you promote. Uh, some of them quite extensive pages of, of job description listings and duties and all these things. You're like, wow, overwhelming at times. And that was for one. One specific job. That's a lot of jobs. It's a lot of titles. A lot of offices that the Lord Jesus specifically held. Each one of them holding a job description lengthier than we just read here in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. Only he could serve as an ambassador to God in all circumstances. All circumstances successfully. Only he could create and inherit for himself that created thing and stand there knowing he was the creator and not be treated as such. Only he could shine the light of the Lord God. Only he could be the express image and live that pattern come what may. Only he could do that. We can't, only he could carry the created thing. Carry it through, just talk about us individually. Carry you throughout all of your loneliness, all of your rebellion. Carry you throughout all of your struggles. Carry you throughout all of your issues and all of those things. Carry me throughout all of those things, throughout all of my life, individually and collectively. Only Jesus can do that. And only Jesus would do that, you understand. Even after cleansing us of that sin and that filth, cleaning up someone else's mess, Jesus considered the description of his job as all of these things, Savior, Deliverer, Sacrifice, all of these things. It wasn't a position for the squeamish by any means. It wasn't a position for the weak. It wasn't a position for the imperfect. It wasn't a position for anyone, only for the qualified. And only him who became so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Saints, this is a job description like no other. All of those things that you saw there. All of the things Jesus said, I will prepare, I am prepared, I am willing, and I'm going to go and do this. He's the only one who could fulfill it. He was the Son of God. If you want to put it all together under one job description, or one qualification for all job descriptions, only the Son of God could do that. And only the Son of God did that was willing to do that. Thank the Lord, saints. He answered that ad. (laughs) Thank the Lord that he fulfilled the job description, white collar, blue collar, all the collars, as only the Son of God can and was willing to do.